Hey everybody, welcome to The Edge Podcast by MGR, your host David Gill here. I hope everybody's having a fantastic week. I certainly am, as always. Today's episode was a chat between Amanda Greenberg and myself. She is the co-founder and CEO of Ballooner. Uh, Ballooner is a software platform that enables idea meritocracies within companies. I'll leave it at that is my simple explanation. She'll explain it a little further in the episode. Um, But they're close to wrapping up their current round of fundraising where she's brought on investors like Jason Calacanis, and she's also raised money publicly through the crowdfunding site republic.co. We discussed a lot of things in this episode, including tips for raising money from people like Jason Calacanis, how to handle the pressure from VCs, uh, how to go about starting a software company when you come from a non-technical background, which is something that I'm sure a lot of people out there listening would be interested in knowing. And then we got into some business tactics like how they've been able to land some Fortune 500 clients and how she thinks about the balance between adding new features to a software product while keeping it simple and easy to use. So lots of cool stuff if you're a founder entrepreneur, anyone out there, you can definitely get a lot of value out of it. She's a founder with a lot of promise, and I had a great time talking to her, so I hope you guys enjoy. All right, let's get into it. You ain't got no money, I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. Hi, everybody. I'm sitting down here with Amanda Greenberg from Ballooner today. She is the co-founder and CEO. How are you doing today, Amanda? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, David. Really appreciate it. No problem. So you said you were at launch scale last week. How was that? I was. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, like every launch event, great speakers, great content, great conversations. Um, yeah, it was it was great. You build a lot of uh, connections, building up that network over there. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did. And of course, the founder dinners and speaker dinners and all of those kinds of things. Um you know, just more intimate opportunity to talk and connect with people, which is always so great. Yeah, definitely. So before we get into it, can you just uh, give a brief explanation of what Ballooner is? For everyone out there, that's spelled B-A-L-L-O-O-N-R, no E there. Um, can you give an explanation of what that is? And then just kind of a little bit about you and what you led, what led you to found the company? Yeah, absolutely. So Um, Before founding Ballooner, I was a researcher in D.C., and it was really in that role that I discovered that our business tools and processes, so meetings, email, Slack, focus groups, surveys, et cetera, all these things that we do that are, you know, we use and do that are core to how companies and businesses operate, um, don't address the way our brains actually work in a group setting. So they don't account for things like louder, more senior voices dominating conversations or having a disproportionate say in decisions or um, products and processes. And of course, you know, people hold back their best ideas and their most valuable, authentic feedback because of a fear of failure um, or judgment. And we've all experienced this, we've all seen this in groups, we've all seen this in um, in companies and organizations, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, and so I became really passionate about it, um, knew that it was costing not only the firm I was with previously, but also just companies as a whole, um, all over the world, billions of dollars in really bad decision-making, stalled innovation, and decreased productivity, tons of wasted time. Yeah. Um, 
And so dove in and founded Ballooner. And Ballooner is an anonymous collaborative platform that accelerates time to wisdom and creates a meritocracy for teams and companies of all sizes. Yeah, when I first uh, you know read about your product, I was like, I can't believe this doesn't really <laughs> exist yet. It made like perfect sense. Um, so you're right now going through, you know, you're raising money for Ballooner. So I wanted yeah. to start off with some fundraising questions. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are listening that are potential founders or are founders and are looking to raise money. So my first thing is uh, you actually got featured on This Week in Startups, the podcast, and you got an investment from Jason Calacanis himself, which for those listening, if you're not aware who that is, he's uh, wrote the book Angel, which is a bestseller, I believe, and then he also was an early investor in Uber and uh Evernote, I think, and a few other companies. But anyways, he's one of the more famous angels, and I'm sure he gets pitched a million times a week. So my question was really, how did you get a prominent angel like that? You know, everyone's always looking for these big time angels to invest in them. How, what, you know, how did you do it? What convinced him? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's such an incredible experience and moment when, you know, the greatest angel in the world becomes an investor in your company. Mm -hmm. Um, it really is just such a, a game changer um, in so many different ways. And we're so thrilled to have him on board. Um, just his brilliance, transparency, you know, grit, all these things that that everyone knows about him, of course. Uh, candor, for sure, on his yes. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's so refreshing. It's so refreshing. I think all entrepreneurs can really understand that, you know, when we're pitching to investors and, you know, selling our product and all these different things like that. Um, that, yeah, that just that honesty and that, that feedback is so important. So the way that we, um, first got connected to Jason was through founder university. And I would recommend everyone apply to founder university. It's a two day, two to three day. I think now they've even extended it, um, completely free for founders. They, you know, you apply, um, typically I think have product in market and maybe some revenue. I think it might be, you know, companies can, can attend who are earlier than that. Mm -hmm. um, it's in um, San Francisco and it's just world-class curriculum and engagement and speakers and all these different things. And part of Founder University, and it's of course run by, by Jason and the launch team. And part of Founder University is, um, the first, the first part of both of those days is pitches. So startups pitching Jason and then typically another um, investor who's either an angel or a VC or, you know, just in, in Jason's network. And you do two minute pitch and then you get feedback. And we pitched second um, the first morning and um, there was just immediate reception and connection. So um, really understood what we were building, really connected to our product and connected to, you know, me as a founder, um, really saw that I was principled in his words, um, and driven and wasn't going to stop until, you know, we pushed our vision out into the world. And so there was that connection. And from there, then, um, got invited to apply and attend, um, launch the launch incubator, which I believe is being renamed to launch accelerator, um, which is his program. Um, and that's how he invests in, in companies that are, you know, uh, seed stage product and market revenue, typically significant revenue or, or growing, going fast, growing fast. Um, 
Yeah. And so from there, uh, that, that, that was really the process, but, um, I would recommend everyone attend founder university or, or apply to attend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a great thing to have a guy like him on your team. So congratulations for that. Oh, thank you. Now that leads me into a different question, which is more about the expectations that comes with, you know, raising money from Jason and other VCs and prominent people, you know, they're, very often going to expect or at least hope i should say that uh <laughs> you're going to be a hundred million dollar plus revenue company one day how do you handle those expectations you know is that a lot of pressure for you yeah you know it's such a it's such an interesting question so i um i think i put a lot a great deal of pressure on myself um and hold myself to really high expectations i've been like that since day one i think that's how i came into this world. Right. Um, Most founders probably are like that, I would assume. Exactly. Like, I think that I, I hold others to high expectations as well, but you know, no one's going to be a greater critic of Amanda than Amanda. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) so I think that, um, you know, when you're taking investment and money from others, then you need to be able to, and willing to step up to the plate and make the necessary sacrifices, um, to grow the company and to scale the company. And it's a lot of pressure. And I think that all entrepreneurs feel it. Um, anyone starting a company, anyone building something. Um, I think, but I do think that when you're really operating in your zone and you love what you're doing and you believe it in your core and in your gut, um, and you want the world to exist with your product and your vision in it, and you can't see the world any other way than that being the outcome, then I think a lot of those pressures become somewhat secondary. You care more about, you know, quality of product, about happy, delighted customers, um, you know, a great thriving culture and team, um, and attracting talent to continue to grow your company. So I think that's how I best manage pressure is I work through it. I just work and execute and focus on the outcomes and the vision. And, you know, I, I think big picture, you get one life. And if you can really look at yourself kind of from that 30,000 foot view and say, what do I, you know, the world before you and the world after you, and what do you want to leave? Um, and if you can really take yourself out of that for, um, a little bit, I think it helps to, um, give you that push and that drive to, to push through. Um, but I also think that this is where having a great team is so important. Um, my co-founder and I are so complimentary in all ways. And one of the ways is that he is a much more patient person than me. Um, and so, you know, he's able to really be such a good balance um, as, as we grow the company together. But um, yeah, that's how I handle it. And I know that all entrepreneurs face it and everyone handles it um, differently and, and, you know, comes up with their own rituals and different strategies. Definitely. And I'm going to ask you about your co-founder in a second, but uh, I also wanted to ask you, so for those who don't know, your current, are you still raising money on Republic? I am. Yep. Yep, we are. So you decided to raise money on Republic.co is the website, which is a uh, crowdfunding for startups. So why did you choose to go through Republic versus the traditional route? And, you know, has it worked out for you so far? Yeah, it definitely has. I mean, we, um, so we're still raising from VCs. We will still raise from VCs in the future, like very much 
The Vision is a VC-backed company. Mm-hmm. Um, we got connected with the Republic team. I'm a Forbes contributor, and I covered them um, around the work that they were doing in diversity and inclusion and just bringing more diverse founders to um, – yeah, to uh, to create a more level playing field, I guess, to give them resources, to give, you know, just just really drive a more inclusive tech world. And um, I became just really fascinated with both their approach, their vision for the space. And I really believe strongly that everyone should be able to invest in startups, like not just accredited investors. I think that that will further level the playing field in all different ways. And as a company, we're focused on leveling that playing field and driving a meritocracy for ideas and feedback and information in the world. And so our vision and mission very much aligns with Republic. And so I thought that by opening up um, Republic, opening up this Republic campaign, raising through that channel, we just better aligned with our, our own values and our own vision, our own mission. And it has been such um, an interesting process because um, a lot of our investors through there have reached out and you know, commented on how passionate they are about what we're building, about our team, how excited they are about it, all the avenues and channels that they want to help us really prosper and grow. So all of a sudden, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds of champions beyond our current investors and customer base, et cetera. You know, you really get these vested partners um, from all walks of life in all different positions um, all over the country and all over the world. And so that was really our, our vision with it was to have it be part of our round. Um, and it's been really, really great. There was also an opportunity alongside Republic and uh, alongside raising to pitch at launch in Australia. And, um, you know, I think that that was one of those other avenues and opportunities to get in front of Jason. So he had already offered that investment before that opportunity, but I think that it helped to, um, just solidify it. Um, yeah, so I, I, I really encourage, you know, entrepreneurs who are, you know, growing their companies to really think about that avenue for multitude of reasons, not just capital, um, you know, just the opportunity to get all of these champions and, and really live into your values, um, as a, as a company. Yeah. To me, honestly, I mean, it's almost free marketing in a way because you're getting these people who are giving you money and then they're also going to probably promote you or try to connect you with people they know. I I think a lot, we'll see many more companies going that route in the future. Do you think so? Oh, 100%. And exactly that free marketing, you know, people can invest. I mean, it's even lower than this. We set our minimum at $100. But you know, people can invest in our company for a hundred dollars. And, you know, they're saying we have app openings here. We have, um, you know, we can help with these different pieces and these different things. And, you know, people can also invest in things that they're really personally passionate about, Mm -hmm. which I also think so exciting, the diversity of products and offerings on both, you know, Republic, but also other, you know, uh, crowdfunding equity platforms. Um, it's just so there's such a, yeah, just, wide breadth and depth of options, which is so great. And I completely agree. It will be trending upward. I agree. So one last question on raising money. Is there anything you wish you knew before you started raising money that you like know <laughs> now that would be helpful? Oh my goodness. Like a million things. I, I sometimes like look back at early investor meetings and I want to just like die under the table <laughs> um, about <laughs> what I didn't know about the process like how to navigate and operate. It is so fascinating. And I'm still learning, you know, 
bucket loads a day. It's just insane um, what you learn about um, yourself, what you learn about investors, what you learn about the ecosystem, all these different things. Um, I think one of the pieces that I, you know, there are a few tips, I guess. One is, you know, the importance of a warm intro, which I know that is is obvious and very well written about, but I think that it, it can't be understated. Like the importance of um, making sure it's the right entry point, you only get one first impression. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been investors who I might've connected with, you know, a couple years ago through like a colder channel, um, who now, you know, I would have very warm intros to, and, you know, you just think about, okay, that was their first impression. This would have been a better first impression. Um, so just the importance of a warm intro. And then the other thing I would say, and I think that this is something that people who have raised before, we all talk about this and comment on this, um, that it's really hard to convince someone who doesn't get it right away, so, you know, it, cause you're convincing them to give you money, which is, I think the ultimate thing that you to convince someone to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, you're not convincing them to like become a fan or like you or anything. You're convincing them to do like an exchange of resources. So I, I think that if people don't get it right away, they don't connect to you and maybe they ask question that questions that kind of just annoy you, you know, it's like, wait, why don't you understand this part of it? Or, you know, why, like, that doesn't seem right or those kinds of things. Um, They're likely not a right fit. They're just not the right fit for you as an investor. I used to really try to convince people who didn't really get it. And when we started to get investors that really connected to us and our vision, I really started to understand how different that feel is and how different that connection is and how frictionless it is to get them to invest. So really just keeping your antennas up for that and knowing that, you know, it's a process and you really talk to a lot of people, especially before you get that first yes. Um, And having the patience to really trudge through that and make sure you're getting the right investors is, is really important. Yeah. I think that's not talked about enough, like choosing the right investors, obviously, you know, you want to raise money where you can, but having the right investors definitely matters as well. Absolutely. I mean, it is a marriage and it's a partnership. And I heard someone say one time that it's like a marriage that you can't get divorced from. And I was like, (laughs) it's like really true, right? It's such um, a process and, you know, it has incredible highs and incredible lows. And you want to make sure that you have the right partners alongside you um, throughout the process to really see you through, um, through to the end. Mm -hmm. And so speaking of partners, let's get back to your yeah. co-founder. <laughs> yes. uh, so you, like you said, you came from DC, not the like most traditional founder when you think of like a tech founder. Uh, and so you decided to bring on a co-founder, a CTO. You know, that's something that I think a lot of non-technical founders are faced with that can be you know, yeah. difficult to find a good co-founder. So how did you go about finding your CTO and what did you see in him that convinced you was the right fit? Yeah, so we are a little bit um, non-traditional in a sense. So we're married co-founders. Oh, okay. I actually didn't know that. (laughs) So (laughs) Noah and I have known each other um, since we were five and six years old. So we grew up in the same town. Our dads were professors at the same university. We played on the same t-ball team, um, et cetera. So um, yeah, so married co-founders is actually not um, that unique. So Eventbrite, Cisco, um, VMware, et cetera. There's, mm-hmm. there's tons of examples of really successful um, married co-founders. 
So Noah and I are, and I, I first should say that I, I think that, um, being married co-founders is a huge advantage. Um, I hear all the time about, you know, friends who are founders who have huge falling outs with their co-founders. Oftentimes like they've been friends for years or have known each other, or maybe they had a class together or something, but huge dramatic fallout because it's such an intense process. So the need to really know, um, and understand everything about each other, I think is so important. And to have, um, similar value sets, you know, similar work ethics, um, but also be complementary in so many different ways. So Noah is a Carnegie Mellon alum, has built and designed products for, you know, IBM, Bloomberg, Dalai Lama, et cetera. Um, I came from more of like a business, um, research, management background, um, but both of us equally like have the same vision for work ethic and what we wanted to do and those kinds of things. So for us, of course, it was very easy to, to find the right. Yeah, I actually, I didn't know that you guys were <laughs> married, but I mean, yeah. obviously that can be, so did you find anyone like not wanting to invest? Cause I've heard in the, I don't think yeah. as much anymore, but I've heard in the past that people are hesitant to invest in married founders. Yeah, I think it was definitely like more of an issue when we first started the company, like before we had, you know, customers and revenue and, um, no, also before we had grown a team, you know, so we're at six people now. So we have team members who work alongside us and see our dynamic and, you know, just people who have invested in us for some VCs, I think it's like in their, you know, don't touch zone, Mm -hmm. but even for those, you know, they're having more frank conversations with us of, you know, we never invested in married founders before. Can you talk about that? And they're more open to it. Um, than they used to be because I mean, Eventbrite Sequoia backed, you know, there's lots of, yeah, you know, just, just really strong married founding teams. And I, I always think it's so hypocritical when, you know, VCs like have a problem with married founders, but they don't like bat an eye when someone, you know, took one class together at MIT five years ago. And they're all of a sudden about to like do the, like the toughest, most intimate process ever in the world of founding a company. So, um, yeah, I just tend, you know, again, that goes back to like having those antennas up. And if it's like they're not interested, then then moving on. Yeah. And ultimately, like you said, you know, results are what matter. And if you show yeah. them that it's working, I don't think anyone's going to care that you're married or not. Exactly. Exactly. And we each have such different skill sets, too. So it's not like we're co-CEOs, you know, like I make the decisions. The final decision is always on me. Um, and they really appreciate that, too. VCs really want to know that there's one decision maker in a company who gets final word. Um, and I, I think that that helps too, just with any concerns. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of you know results, you guys have actually, despite being a startup, you've managed to land some pretty significant clients, BMW, Disney, Capital One, a few others. Yeah. How did you land those deals as a small company? And you know, what's your kind of process for trying to get big clients like that? Yeah, absolutely. So we always, when we started the company, had our eyes on big industry leading companies and organizations as early adopters, like those that are really progressive and innovative, because we knew that we were creating a new category and bringing something really new to the marketplace. And so we wanted to really land those companies before kind of going downstream. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely going to help you sell it if you have that clientele list too. (laughs) 
Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's right. It's it's so important. Like how is this other company using this and how could I apply this to, to my own company? And so we, we were very fortunate in that we had, and we continue to have a, a very large inbound pipeline. So from earned media, from pitch events, um, from references, customer referrals, um, podcasts like this, um, <laughs> et cetera, you know, really help to just drive our, our pipeline. Um, and we also are, I, I think that large companies and those that are really on, you know, just leading industry, I think that they really like having influence and involvement in startups and people who are driving new waves of innovation. And so we've really brought in our, our customers to, you know, our, our processes. So we have a customer advisory board where we collect feedback and, um, ideas. We have regular check-ins with all of our customers. Um, we, we really make sure that they're involved and engaged in the process. We're gearing up to launch the new version of our product. We're actually transitioning our current customers on, um, right now. And they've been so involved in that process. So the very beginning stage of getting those companies and getting those teams on, making sure that, um, they're really brought into just our company and our vision. And, you know, this is where the product is now, but this is where we're going to get it. And we want your um, feedback to to help get us there, um, I think has been really helpful in getting those companies and, and yeah, the, the, that level, that tier of company. Um, I also think like the vendor onboarding and security and all of those pieces of getting larger enterprise deals is really challenging and it can be resource intensive for a small startup. We were willing to jump through some of those hoops to get um, the companies and customers that we wanted to. So I think that that's another, another tip, I guess. Yeah. Um, Customer service is always, almost always the answer, but exactly. so if you get like a little more tactical for a second, um, you know, obviously, like you said, you have limited resources, like any startup. How are you guys focusing your marketing right now? Are you doing more pure sales, like, like CRM type of thing? Or are you trying to do more of a branding marketing content approach? Yeah, so we've definitely been focused on priming the market. So, you know, bringing something new, creating a new category, priming the market, writing content that opens people up to the idea of an enlightened leader, the idea of, you know, failures in productivity and processes within companies and organizations and groups really been focused on that to then drive that pipeline. We've only recently really started thinking about, you know, more of an outbound, um, growth strategy. And, um, you know, as we get ready to launch this new product, um, and the second version of our product, like way more focused in a more outward scale growth. Um, process, but have been first focused on getting that product right, priming the market, driving that inbound and growing that pipeline. Have you thought about doing a podcast at all yourself for the company? <laughs> we have. Yeah, we definitely have thought about it um, and plan to. We have some ideas there with our, our customers. Yeah, I definitely think you could do a unique podcast about you know culture, workplace, something in of that nature that would relate to your product a lot. Just, you know, Something to think about. We've seen definitely a lot of uh, traction from our own podcast. So 
it definitely works. I can tell you that. Um, oh, so good to hear. Yeah, because it's such a right. It's such a. It's just re- it's just resources, right? It takes time, so you want to make sure it's really worth it. And it's so. a it's a slow growth thing, right? Obviously, you know, yeah. don't expect anything right away, but the consistency and obviously, if you make a good podcast, then people will find it over time. Yeah. That's so good. So let's talk about product for a couple seconds. You sell a SaaS product. Um, you know, one thing that I've seen from other companies that, you know, there's a lot of times there's a long list of features that could be added or maybe you want to be added. How do you go about prioritizing adding those features, uh, you know, you and your team? Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, you know, we have always we had a very clear vision for product. <laughs> Um, from day one. And so we prioritize features by, I guess, who's requesting them, how they're requesting them, how often they're requesting them, and does it make a big um, change in usage, in how happy our customers are, the value that they're getting and receiving from the product. So we kind of weight each feature and we think about it that way. We also take into account if it's going to weigh down the product at all. So does this make this heavier? Does this make this more cumbersome? Those kinds of things. And how does just this? How does this impact the design and the flow and the ease of our product? Um, so that's how we we structure it. We rely on customer feedback, and then we take all of those things into account. And does it does it align and get us closer to? you know, our, our big vision and goal. And if it doesn't, then maybe we table it, maybe we get additional feedback, et cetera. Um, but it's, you know, prioritization and feature prioritization is, is always moving. And, um, you know, we, we add things to it. We think about it, we restructure it, um, in terms of our, our roadmap, but, um, but it's pretty clear and we try not to we try not to go into, you know, just feature overload. Yeah. Do you, do you guys do a la carte or is it all like this one size fit all? Do you do a la carte for companies? One, one size fits all and always will be how we do it. So okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah customizing. Um, we, we are building out some additional things around like um, in the new version of the product flight plans which are, you know, templated sets of questions for different use cases. So we'll be doing like a lot more around that, um, like the entry point and making things like more use case specific within the product. But the core product like that would be delivered to all of our customers the same way. Mm -hmm. So and like you were saying, future overload is it's a problem that a lot of SaaS products face because you're always trying to make it better but you know how do you balance that simplicity versus like ease of use versus adding those new things that people might want we always err on the side of simplicity um we care most about like someone getting on the product immediately seeing the value for them not just for the company but for them and you know are they motivated to use it does it get them the information, the ideas, the feedback that they want and need? Do they feel like their voice is amplified and heard? And does it just create a better group dynamic and save time? And so anything that kind of adds to that, that doesn't move the needle in a significant way across those different metrics, then we tend to err on the side of not adding. What we're focused on, I think, is really 
those flight plans that I mentioned, but also like, you know, opening up an API, like working on integrations into other products and systems um, to just ease like when people are, you know, how people approach how, what they get on the tail end, those kinds of things is where I think we're, we're most focused, but not layering on a lot of additional pieces within product. And then also like thinking about, there's some AI features that we're working on as well, um, that do different things with the data. Um, so that I think again is geared toward simplifying and helping to communicate out different things from that data to our customers. Um, that, that's how we think about it. So always going toward the direction of simplicity yeah. and not new features. I think that's the right approach. There's nothing you know worse than having the, the product or software that you really like and then all of a sudden they start changing it and all, you're like, oh, I don't even yeah. recognize this anymore. And yeah, I think simplicity is always, always gonna be the right answer. Yeah. One final question. What is your favorite book that you've read in the last year? Oh my goodness. Um, let's see. So I feel like I don't read enough books. I Well, I can imagine you're busy, but you know. <laughs> I read a lot of... It doesn't have to be in the last year, I guess. It could be the last few years. Okay. Well, my one of my favorite books of all time, I'll, I'll give you one for this year, and then one of my favorite books of all time, which I recommend everyone read, is Drive by Daniel Pink um, about motivation, what mm -hmm. motivates people, how people get motivated, all these different things. It really opened my eyes to a lot of different elements of human behavior and has changed and impacted how I um, grow and lead the company. So I would recommend everyone read that. Okay. I read um, in the last year um, something that has stood out. I read Bad Blood, um, which is the Theranos book. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have not read that. It's shocking, and I would recommend. It's a the page turner. I actually read it on the flight to Australia. Um, yeah, so that that's one I would recommend. But um, yeah, I, I I read a lot, but more distributed, I think, than like I really dive into one book. I I will read chapters and parts of different books. Oh, also, of course, I should mention like Principles by Ray Dalio, like hugely impactful. Um, you know, focus on idea meritocracy and mm -hmm. structure all these different things also recommend i actually read that one recently myself oh cool very very good book is okay so you said you read a lot of research is there a blog that you read that you really like Ooh, um i read a lot on hbr like harvard business review um like new research that comes out there mm -hmm. especially around both venture world and um you know just organizational health you know, organizational culture. Um, yeah, I, I really read a lot there. And then, yeah, I would say that's like probably one of my main. Can't go wrong with Harvard Business Review. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Amanda. If people want to find you online, where should they go? And obviously, if they want to learn more about Ballooner, where should they go for that? Yeah. So check out Ballooner.com, which is B-A-L-L-O-O-N-R.com. Um, and I'm on Twitter at, at AK Greenberg. Um, and you know, people can feel free to reach out to us at hello at ballooner.com as well. Um, yeah. And I, I love connecting with people. So, you know, welcome any and all, any and all outreach. And I'll do the pitch for her. If you want to invest, go to republic.co and, uh, give it a look. 
Thank you, David. <laughs> yeah, no problem. And for everyone listening, all links mentioned will be in the podcast description in the show notes. So everything can be found there. Thank you so much for your time, Amanda. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Hey guys, David here. Before you go, if you listen this far and you enjoyed the episode, please, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave a rating on whichever podcast platform you listen, uh, iTunes, Google Play, doesn't matter. If you could leave a rating, it really, really means a lot. And if you could share it with just one person who you think would also enjoy that would be amazing. I would really appreciate it. And also, I wanted to take a second to tell you about what we do at MGR. So we're a full-service marketing agency, and by full-service, I really mean it. From managing your ad creative to diving deep on your business strategy or even building out entire web platforms, we do whatever it takes to help your company grow. That's that's what we focus on, growth. So if you want to take your business to the next level, that's what we do. You can email me personally at david at mgragency.com. Some of you send one-liners. Some of you send full trilogies. I am email length agnostic. I will read it all. It doesn't matter. We will read it all, and we'll get back to you very shortly. David at mgragency.com if you just want to get in touch and see how we can help your company grow. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening. I will see you next time. Mm